0: Welcome to the Saturday Blitz podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Begolke. Welcome to the Saturday Blitz podcast this week, everybody. I'm Zach Begolke, here as always with John Mitchell. We are going to be talking about the transfer portal in our first segment, uh, something that is close to home, especially for John. We'll be talking about that (coughs) very soon. Uh, and obviously, as somebody who's moved way too many times myself and transferred twice during my undergrad, I, I certainly understand transfers. Uh, so we're going to dive into that a bit in the first segment, especially in terms of what the transfer portal looks like in the midst of a pandemic. And then in our second segment, we will be looking at Dion Sanders and his debut at Jackson State. What can we take away from a throttling of an NAIA school uh and what does it bode for for primetime's future there in in the SWAC before we dive into things John how are you doing this
1: week doing good busy week and all but you know happy to get a break and sit here and talk some football with you yeah I know you've been packing a lot
0: lately so we'll obviously talk about that more in just a moment but before we do, I want to take a, take a quick second to uh, tell you all about Manscaped. So, you know, sometimes you just have to nut up and, and deal with the hair down there. And Manscaped has all the tools you need to get that done. They've got the Lawnmower 3.0, the premier grooming tool uh, for your family jewels. They've got all the the skincare products you'd need. They've they've got it all. So log in at manscaped.com, use the code FANSIDED20 and get yourself 20% off and free shipping on your next order there. You know, I've had the chance since we've been working with Manscaped the past few weeks to try out some of their products. And I've got to say, it's absolutely phenomenal. I've dealt with inferior equipment before, and it's just, it's not a pleasurable experience. You're you're not going to have a good time, but if you do log in at manscaped.com, use that code FANSIDED20, you'll be feeling just fine where it counts. With, With that, let's move on and talk a bit about moving because, well, John, let, let's talk a bit about moving. You're about to uh, head out of the Yellowhammer state.
1: Yeah, first time in my life. I, I've lived all over the state of Alabama, but never outside of the state of Alabama. And I got a pretty fantastic job opportunity uh, with the same company I currently work for. And I'll be moving to Leesburg, Virginia. So, a pretty significant move for me uh, outside of my comfort zone. Um, you know, never been there before so that'll be uh interesting and uh you know a little bit nervous but looking forward to a a change of scenery excited to get to a different part of the country and um i know very little about leesburg to be honest maybe some of our listeners out there know more about it than i do i'm sure but i know it's pretty close to washington dc which is pretty interesting it'll be cool to be close to a big city like that and it's Seemingly near a lot of different places like D.C., like Philadelphia, uh, Baltimore, Pittsburgh's not that far away. So a lot of different places. Uh, I'll be a lot closer to my podcast um, associate here, Zach. Um, so several hours away, but we'll be in the same time zone for once. I know Zach's looking forward to that more than I am uh, in terms of planning when we can record our podcast in the future. Yeah, I'd be.
0: I got to say, I am excited about that. It, it seems like I've either been way behind you or now ahead of you and uh, never could get on the same, same zone yet. So things do sometimes align everybody. It, it It is kind of amazing how that works. And yeah, you'll only be about three and a half, four hours away, really just a, a day trip. We'll definitely have to maybe record one of these actually sitting side-by-side rather than remotely one of these days, you know, when we can finally uh, travel again and, and associate freely. Those days obviously aren't here yet, and yet college football moves on, and we've obviously got FCS games going, but, you know, we've also got students transferring It's something that happens all the time. You and I both dealt with it during our, our college experience and it, you know, when you're an athlete, it's just extra stress on top of that because you're having to join a new team and especially now, you know, with situations as they are, it's that much harder to, to integrate yourself into a new experience but we have a lot of players that are moving around. Obviously, uh, quarterbacks at a couple of schools that I root for are moving. Tyler Schuh just said that he's going to Texas Tech. Um, We already heard Jack Cohn was going to Notre Dame. That's, you know, uh, the way the carousel works these days. We talked about the coaching carousel, but the transfer portal is just another one of those cycles that we have to keep our eye on extra strong now. But I'm curious, John, given that you're dealing with moving in the middle of a pandemic right now, um, do you think there are going to be additional challenges for some of these guys who are, you know, packing up and moving to a new college in, in the middle of these times and you know, with all the attendant challenges that came from playing the past FBS season.
1: I think the biggest challenge in terms of, you know, transferring schools, moving, what have you right now, uh, particularly when it comes to this, not being able to see the place you're going ahead of time is really challenging. That's something we talked about when we were talking about recruiting a few weeks back and now transfers now is that a lot of these players are making these decisions without ever having set foot on these campuses. Maybe some of the transfers are going places that maybe they visited when they were in high school. So maybe they have some familiarity with the area and the campus they'll be attending. But a lot of these players, particularly high school players and several of these transfers are going somewhere they've never been before. They haven't had the opportunity to go and visit a school because NCAA isn't allowing visits right now because of the ongoing pandemic. And it makes sense. It's just, you know, that's a really difficult thing to choose a p- new place to live um, without ever having set foot, because pictures and all that. something, Zach, you, I know you've dealt with before as well. You moved across the country from San Francisco to where you are now and had to do a lot of the same uh, in terms of finding a place to stay where you were going. But, you know, in terms of your case, at least, you know, you were going to a school that, you know, you've chosen just like a lot of these players are are choosing where they're going but you know i believe did they help you move some zach or was that all on you
0: (laughs) so in my case it was i i i mean there was no explicit moving costs that were attached to it uh But they did, you know, offer some additional relief in my first year of my graduate stipend, you know, to kind of help offset it. It, there are little things that can be manipulated obviously when you're in the private sector it's a lot easier and when you're negotiating a faculty position it's a lot easier than a Grad student but yeah I mean there was some help there but. I, I mean, I've had to move cross-country before where I had absolutely no support as well. Yeah. And it, it it's hell. It it, it really is. You, you know, I think about when I was done with my master's degree and moved from Eugene to San Francisco on the West Coast. That was, I mean, it was a protracted move where stuff remained in storage in Oregon for about a year. So, you know, half the time I lived in San Francisco, I was, you know, still one foot in the state of Oregon, basically. Yeah. And that's a tough thing with moves is, you know, especially for um, students who are moving to a school that's far away from where they've been for the past couple years. How much of it are you actually going to pack up? Are you planning to ever come back to the town again that you're leaving? There are a lot of variables and it's unique to everybody's situation obviously. But I think the other thing that's interesting in the pandemic is with this blanket waiver from the NCAA where guys have this opportunity to move basically immediately and be eligible immediately schools are having to make tough decisions in terms of how they allocate their scholarships. And, you know, we pulling up the transfer portal, just looking at it, I was doing that before we recorded the podcast this evening and, you know, you see a lot of the big names that have their landing spots, you know, just the quarterback carousel itself is you can go down the list Uh, other than you know uh, there are only a couple of prominent names that are still scrambling to land a spot but at the same time at this point if you haven't landed that spot yet it becomes that much more dangerous to see whether or not you're actually able to find a place when all the chairs are filled you know it's a game of musical chairs here and in the pandemic with recruiting being what it is and with, you know, players getting an extra year of eligibility and being able to stay at their programs another year, if they want, I I have this fear that we're going to see more individuals who were playing college football at the FBS level last year um, fall by the wayside. And that's, that's kind of sad.
1: Yeah, I mean, the NCAA is not doing these kids any favors either because they still haven't officially approved the one-time transfer waiver. Uh, That's a vote they keep pushing back and pushing back, and you've got a lot of players who are sitting there waiting to see if that's going to come to fruition before they make a decision. The guy that comes immediately to mind is, you know, Tennessee linebacker Henry Teoto O, who, you know, was one of the most highly sought-after players a couple years ago in recruitings, had two really good seasons for the Volunteers, looking to move on but is kind of waiting and seeing if you know if he's going to have to sit out a year or not if he has to sit out a year he might go back to Tennessee instead because he's a guy who is a year away from potentially entering the NFL draft and he certainly got that pro potential um uh, obviously Alabama is currently the leader for him from what I've seen I mean from his father's own mouth so I have a vested interest in him potentially coming to play for my school but It's not just him. He's just the guy I use as an example. A lot of guys are kind of sitting there waiting to see, you know, should I transfer? or Should I stay where I'm currently at? Because, you know, if you enter the portal doesn't mean you can't necessarily stay at your current school. And Tennessee would welcome O back with open arms if he decided to stay in Knoxville. It's just unfortunate that we're getting into almost March at this point. And the NCAA hasn't made that decision. I mean, spring football is about to start. It's important for these kids that they're transferring to be able to get a full spring at the place they're going. Because it's, you know, they have the college football experience, so they have that leg up on recruits, but they don't have the experience with that defense or that offense. They don't know the playbook of the school they're going to. And it's really unfair that they're going to be kind of sitting here and waiting and waiting just for the NCAA to to make their final decision on this. And, I mean, everyone who's listened to this podcast for any amount of time has heard Zach and I talk relentlessly about kids should be able to transfer anytime they want to without penalty. So, you know, I do think this is something that will ultimately get done. I just hate that there's so many kids that are sitting there hanging with everything else, with all the other challenges that this, se- this past season and this offseason have presented because of COVID – um, and the fact that a lot of people are having to make blind choices about where they're going to be playing football next year. And it's scary, Zach, to move to an area of the country you've never been before. You've never experienced the culture. You don't really know if you're going to fit in well, if you're going to adjust well to the different climates, to the different people you're going to be around. And I, I really feel for the athletes who are having to make that call um, particularly as, you know, young adults, you know, with with me and you and we've moved, we're a little bit older now. So we make these moves. You know, we've experienced this kind of thing before. We're a little better equipped to deal with that. I'm moving for a job that's paying for my move. That's giving me a, you know, a significant pay raise to do this. So, you know, it's a little bit easier for me to make that decision and go somewhere, uh, that I may not necessarily even love being, I you know, it remains to be seen. Maybe I'll love that area of the country. I have no idea. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be getting a paycheck still. So that's going to be a massive plus for me, whereas these kids make these decisions for a hope that one day they'll get a paycheck.
0: Yeah, that's the biggest thing about it all. And, you know, in talking about wanting these athletes to have as much flexibility as possible, not having all the information you need is not flexibility as you said you know being left in the dark about what your status will be is not flexibility and at this point with schools having filled up their recruiting classes and you know we're at least here at Penn State we're in week six of the spring semester right now campuses across the country are already enrolled transferring mid semester is not an easy thing to do especially middle of the semester if you're doing it a week in you know things can be negotiated with professors and whatnot and and it's a hell of an adjustment but you can make it happen doing it a third of the way nearly halfway through an entire school term, it's nearly impossible on an academic level to set these kids up for success. And so, you know, that's really where the issue falls for me with the NCAA is if we're talking about the most important thing in quote unquote student athletes being the student aspect of that. And I I, I put very condescendingly air quotes around that. John was able to see it. Sorry, everybody listening, you weren't, but now you know. Uh, Now that I've over-explained that, (laughs) we don't, you know, we already know that that student aspect of that is a damn myth. And this is only exposing it all the further. Because if you wanted these, young men to be set up to have academic success you would have allowed them to know what was going to happen back in December when they could get transfer um, paperwork in place and know the campus that they're going to and be able to get on top of things before spring ball happens because if you transfer now you're not thinking about classwork at all you're starting to think about getting into a practice schedule and having to figure out where you're going to lift every day and and all, you know learn your way around campus for that part of it so it, it it's almost like a double edged sword this year um in that regard the pandemic certainly doesn't help but you know the way things were set up even in a ideal conditions in terms of, you know, the epidemiological health of the nation. set all of that aside, just take that out of the equation. And the way the NCAA is operating is still absolutely messed up. It's not setting these kids up for success. It's unfortunate, but I I need to stop complaining about this right now. So I'm going to cede the floor, John.
1: No, I mean we've we've spent, I would say, a large portion of the run of this podcast complaining about the NCAA and their, you know, unfair practices and their, you know, kind of random decision making when it comes to, um, whatever, when it comes to penalties based on um, infractions, when it comes to approving or denying transfer waivers. Everything they do feels like it's just a flip of a the coin. There's never any real um logic to follow from one case to the next so you know i still expect they'll do the right thing here but they've already put an asterisk by doing the right thing here by making it last this long and making it more challenging for these kids to find their new homes and like you said there's probably going to be several who are the odd men out on where their preferred destination is and had they had the chance to commit to those schools two months ago then they would have been where they really wanted to go and instead they might end up going to their third or fourth option
0: yeah or not even having an option like that's the i mean that's the thing that scares me most is somebody who had a scholarship suddenly not having that opportunity at all and if it happens to even one player because of the way this was set up and guarantee me it will then this whole system was messed up. It, it did not do right by these kids. But I'm going to leave that there. And let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about Neon Dion and uh, his quest to dominate the FCS ranks. So grab yourself a drink. Take yourself a stretch. Uh, go let the dog outside. Do whatever it is you need to do. We'll be right back. Welcome back from the break to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We just spoke our piece about the way that things are going about the transfer portal this year. And now it's time to move our conversation on to Jackson State, that Southwestern Athletic Conference uh, dynamo that's trying to light up the FCS ranks under new head coach Dion Sanders definitely a familiar name to just about anybody who's followed. football. Oh, have you not heard of this guy? Deion Sanders. He's, uh, (laughs) yeah. Um, he actually used to play for a team you, you root for in the, the NFL ranks. It might've been been before your time. So uh.
1: I think I remember him from that. Do you documentary on, um, on ESPN, the 30 for 30, I think he was on there, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause, uh, yeah, yeah he, uh,
0: attended a rival of the University of Miami. <laughs> Obviously, everybody, I, 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 all joking aside, Deion Sanders is now coaching in the FCS ranks, Jackson State, and he had a hell of an introduction to, uh, Coaching, you know, this game against uh NAIA school Edward Waters, um, was something of a walkabout, really. You know, a 53 to nothing pasting of an overmatched opponent. This is basically the FCS equivalent of a paycheck game for oh, yeah. Edward Waters coming in, but you know, I, I, I think in any football game. As we've talked about before, we kind of follow Bill Connolly's maxim that you can you can learn something from every football game, and it was an interesting debut, John. Uh, you know, offensively, kind of dink and dunk, <laughs> um, not the sort of electricity you might expect from a you know a Sanders team. But at the same time, he, he was a defensive guy, so. You know, you can kind of expect that that that's where he wants things to lie. And the fact that they came out of it with a shutout and you know allowed a grand total of I think it was 140 yards for the game. That's a good sign. Got four sacks, uh, no turnovers, but you know when you're dominating that much and and getting your opponent to you know punt the ball eight times. You're 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 basically forcing them to turn it over on downs every time, anyway.
1: But yeah, yeah. pitching a shutout with zero turnovers is honestly more impressive. So. Yeah,
0: it, yeah, it, it, it really kind of is in a way because I I I didn't look at the play by play before this game, but I you know I think pretty much everything was a three and out as far as I saw it, it was through the, no, I think there was one drive where Edward waters might've had a first down or two, but other than that, just kind of a spirit crushing defeat, you know, 31, nothing by halftime. (laughs) You might as well have a running clock for the rest of the game sort of situation. Uh, But, you know, was there anything in particular that you saw that you liked from this game besides the fact that obviously they shut them out without needing a turnover to do so?
1: Yeah. I mean that I, like you said, Dion's a defensive guy. So, you know, that zero meant a lot more to him than the 53 on offense. So, um, you know, and, and you pointed out a really good caveat. So this is an NAIA school. It's also not a particularly good NAIA football school. It's a team that won one game. A year ago. So they're not even good on the level that they play. So it should definitely be taken with a grain of salt in this debut. But it was fun getting to see Deion Sanders make his coaching debut. I really, you know, a lot of things with Dion, his football career, and you know, even partially his baseball career as well, his athletic career, I should say, in total, is flamboyant. You know, there's always a little bit of extra something that goes with Dion all the time. I'm actually excited about what he's trying to do at Jackson State, though. Like, I I really appreciate the fact that he's really pushing the HBCU brand at Jackson State. and I think that's big not just for Jackson State, not just for the SWAC, but for all HBCUs across the country. And I think we're starting to see an uptick in um, high-level high school athletes considering HBCUs. We've seen it particularly in college basketball with Mature Maker, for instance, attending an HBCU, I believe at Hampton, um, he ended up going. So we're starting to see high-level prospects make decisions that are more based on their futures and schools that are going to give them tools to succeed in all areas of life. And that seemed like they would really care about them more than these NFL and NBA factory, big brand uh, college athletic schools that are, you know, concerned about what those players can bring to their school, not what those schools can bring to those players. So I I think there's a really big chance. And Deion's such a big name. He's such a big personality. He's going to attract talent. He's already attracted a couple four-star prospects to come to Jackson State which is huge. He's got a couple big transfers that have come in. I think he's got a real chance at building something significant there that goes far beyond just Jackson State and goes and, and makes a big splash for HBCUs everywhere and could really change the game of college athletics. And that's something we've talked about in the past being possible when we saw some. Um, some athletes starting to consider at least maybe not even a 10, but starting to consider when you see top 10 lists for a five-star prospect include, you know, a team like Jackson state or, you know, North Carolina A&T or whatever other HBCU out there. I mean, that's a big deal for those brands, for those schools and, you know, could really change the game going forward. So I really like what Dion's trying to do. It feels like he's trying to make things about the kids not make things about himself. And that's something that's always been a criticism of Dion throughout his whole career is that he's a me, me, me guy, but it really doesn't feel like that so far here. And I know that's a weird thing to say after the theft incident that happened in the game. Uh, but it does seem like there was something there, like something happened with his personal belongings and anybody would be upset. If you walk in and find your personal belongings have been rifled through or taken from you. I think everybody who's ever had something like that happen to them, knows that anger that kind of comes out there. So I hope that Dion can continue this track, and I really do like what he's trying to do there, and it'll be really interesting to follow. I don't think there's a lot to glean from this kind of game, just as much as I don't think there's much to glean from when Alabama – or Ohio state or whoever plays a team like Mercer from the FCS and just destroys them by 50 points. There's very little that you really get out of that. Uh, but it was fun to see the era get started. I, I think it, it's evident what they're trying to do, recruiting the the speed and the kind of athletes that are going to be difficult to contain on offense. And then a defense that can really swarm you uh, and then cover, you know, Dion was a cornerback. So he's all about uh, having guys on his team that can, cover receivers and lock down so the potential is certainly there for Jackson State to be good in year one it'll be interesting to see how they do when the uh, competition steps up
0: yeah I mean coming up this weekend they have Missouri Valley State Uh, after that they have their interdivisional game against Grambling they'll also fate you know they have to play at Elkhorn State they've got Prairie View A&M Southern and then Alabama a and to round out that, that Southwestern athletic conference slate. So they still definitely do have some good tests coming up and, you know, I'm excited to see, like you said, what happens with a ramp up in competition, just, you know, kind of looking at what did happen in, in this game, you know, just because I, I, like I said, I love to have some kind of takeaway from it. Obviously the defense looked impressive, Um, you know, four different guys getting sacks and just consistent domination in the backfield. Great to see only allowed 21 net yards on the ground. Um, Actually, I realized I, I was reading the box score wrong. I read the wrong column. They only allowed 104 total yards of offense in this game so you know and looked good at both on the ground and like i said passing it was a lot of short you know sort of dink and dunk work but Jalen jones completed 18 out of those 20 dink and dunk passes so even you know playing a short game he was playing it well had three touchdowns 187 total yards um also ran for 39 yards and a touchdown was never taken down for a loss pretty darn impressive um kaimani clark looked great as well 92 yards rushing and two touchdowns also caught a pass for 11 yards um i think you know i think deon sanders has a lot of good building blocks on both sides of the ball as as you mentioned and has the foundation in place where it Things could get built up more. Um, Obviously, the heat of whatever happened in his office with his belongings, um, you know, hopefully that's tempered. He got everything back, you know. um, Hopefully they deal with it however they need to. And like you said, he can maintain that focus on the players um, because, you know, something like that does – You know, for better or worse, whatever actually happened, you know, right or wrong to be pissed off about it, um, make sure that it doesn't impact what's happening on the field or with that roster or, you know, blows up into something bigger. I think other than that, it's hard to have a better debut because even against an overmatched opponent, 53 points is impressive having the kind of defensive performance where you give up just barely more than a hundred yards, that's impressive. So let's see yeah. what they, let's see what they can do against the swag.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's unfortunate that the whole robbery situation happened too, because that really took the focus off of the game. Nobody's really talking about what the team did. Everybody's talking about what happened after the game or during the game or however it you know, transpired. Uh, But, you know, like you said, you know, like I was saying earlier too, gleaning any big picture stuff from beating an overmatched opponent, you can't really do. However, they did beat an overmatched opponent the way they should have beaten an overmatched opponent. So there's no negatives there. You might not be able to pull out a lot of positives in the big picture in these kind of games, but you can certainly pull out a ton of negatives if you play poorly against this kind of opponent. They would have struggled Um, against an NAIA school, it would have really uh, been a red flag for what was going to happen when they go into SWAC play. So I think it's important that they handled them the way they did. They didn't have too many growing pains in Dion's first game. And, you know, it remains to be seen whether he's going to be an effective football coach. We know he was a hell of a football player, one of the best cornerbacks we've ever seen. I mean, he was fantastic at Florida State. He had a great pro career, just a phenomenal athlete. Uh, so, you know, if he can coach, that's great. It remains to be seen. Uh, we've seen plenty of great players turn out to be just awful coaches in every sport um, across the board. So, um, and, and the big thing for Jackson State to me too going forward is it doesn't feel like Dion would ever, to me, I don't think he has his eyes set on trying to, move up in the coaching profession. Like I wouldn't think that if he had a ton of success at Jackson state, he would be looking to cash in and try to get maybe back to Florida state as alma mater. I think he's set where he is. I think he's excited about the work he can do at Jackson state. And I, I think he's going to try to build something there and stay there for the long haul. If he has success enough to warrant that and Jackson state doesn't move on from him, but he's definitely gonna have a very long leash there. I would say, Uh, unless they're just awful in the next few years. It would be difficult to see there being any coaching change that he doesn't bring upon uh, himself.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's basically his job as long as he wants it. It brings enough publicity to the school that, you know, for all the little uh, eccentricities that come with, getting deon sanders you know the fact that he has enough jewelry in his coach's bag for somebody to want to go rifling through it things like that you know you take the good with the bad but it, it, it's obviously it, at least up to now a lot more good than bad any other thoughts that you had from you know this first full week of fcs play that we we had here
1: uh, you know, the the big thing that I wanted to mention quickly, Zach, Did you read the Ross Dellinger piece about Jacksonville State for Sports Illustrated um, this past week talking about Jacksonville State basically having 20 games potentially scheduled in one calendar year because they played several games in the fall. They're playing the spring season, and they're planning on playing again in the fall. So I, if everybody out there hasn't read that piece, I would very – uh, much recommended. I think it's a great um, article. Great. Th- I mean, we've been talking about how crazy it is and from a player safety standpoint of playing condensed schedules and getting all these games in. That's something we're seeing across sports too, by the way, because I mean the NBA is squeezing in a ton of games right now. Um, You know, they're playing, a lot of teams are playing every other day going forward. We see college basketball teams playing, you know, making up games and having to play six games in 12 days or something like that. And it is a a concern player safety wise. Um, I understand a school like Jacksonville state, they're trying to maximize as much revenue as they can maximize because we talked about this, the beginning of the pandemic, how much smaller schools were going to suffer at a much higher level than bigger schools, because they don't have nearly as big of a margin for error in their athletic budgets as, you know, the Clemsons, the USC's, the Alabama's, the Florida's, those teams and those programs do. So I thought it was a really interesting piece. I don't know if you'd had a chance to read it or not, Zach, but obviously it caught my attention quickly because I went to Jacksonville State for a hot minute. I'm from Jacksonville, Alabama. So I've been around that school and that football program quite a bit growing up. So Thought it was really interesting, and they're far from the only school that's trying unique things with their scheduling this year.
0: I have not checked out the piece yet, but thank you for the tip. And uh, if John recommends a piece, I, I I highly recommend you all go out and read it as well because he's not one to shower praise lightly. Uh so yeah, you know, I I think it's a fascinating thing to think about in terms of what we're looking teams. Tr- at at teams trying to do here and you know we talked about it i've written about it at saturday blitz you know tracking how many games were postponed and canceled during the fbs season we already saw three more canceled um on sunday uh, uh um when teams played then we've seen uh one already canceled next in in this upcoming Saturday, uh, Cal Poly and UC Davis. Uh, so it's not, you know, we're seeing more people get through um, the vaccination protocols. We're seeing more parts of the country open up correspondingly. Um, we're not out of the weeds yet like that's we're going to continue to see this through the rest of this season uh you know when you start a season just a month after one where we saw over a hundred games canceled as a result of a pandemic it's you know the swirl that's happening in january just doesn't magically stop in in february so that's going to continue. We're going to continue to see this happen. And, and the way things are going at schools like this that don't always have the resources, it, it's a tough, tough balance between, as you said, that need to find ways to supplement the athletic department's income uh, with that need to protect your, your student body and the players that are representing your university. It's a tough, tough call. And so, you know, looking at these scores and trying to read so much into any one of these games is a really, it, it, it kind of seems like a futile exercise in some ways, but it's what we do. Before we head out, I think the last thing I really want to make sure that we mention is uh, New Mexico State went 0-1 in their FCS season. Of course, they are an FBS independent, but, you know, they went 0-1 in a 43-17 loss at home against Tartleton. And, you know, if you remember last week, we were talking about Tartleton uh, losing that double overtime thriller against McNeese State. Tartleton is playing their first season of division one football. They just moved up from division two and they throttled New Mexico state. So
1: yeah, if you ever want to see a team that did not care about playing a single, a singular football game before it would be New Mexico state playing against Tartleton, but shout out to the Tartleton players though, getting that first win as an FCS program on the division one level. Um, and beating an FBS school to boot. I mean, that's a fantastic memory that nobody will take away from them. And 50 years from now, when wherever historians come along to replace Zach, um, after he's long retired, um, no one will then remember that, that the circumstances that went into that game, they'll just see that that was, uh, what transpired.
0: Exactly. So congrats on dancing in Las Cruces, Tartleton, uh, May your student body revel in this forever. I think that's a perfect place to leave off this week's episode. You know, if we're talking about the doom and gloom in the pandemic, let's leave on a little bit of a high. Do keep yourself safe out there. I know it's, you know, still cold in different parts of the country. We're now dealing with thaws in different parts of the country. The weather's crazy. Uh, You know, keep yourself safe in that regard. I hope you're able to stay warm. Uh, Do continue doing everything you need to do to combat getting COVID-19. Luckily, I just got a a negative test result a couple of days ago um, as a result of testing here at Penn State. Uh, But that doesn't mean you can stop being vigilant. So hang in there, everybody, and we'll be with you again next Wednesday.